Hi, Adam Dudding here, Stuff's podcast director. If you're enjoying this podcast, how about contributing to the Stuff supporter program? You can contribute any amount you choose, and you can do it just once or monthly or annually. Direct support from people like you helps us produce the kind of journalism you're listening to right now. Go to stuff.co.nz forward slash support. Stuff Podcasts. Warning, this podcast deals with racism, so expect explicit language. My name is Will Irolahir, co-founder of the Polynesian Panther Party. In 1975, National and Robert Muldoon romped home to victory on the back of a blatantly racist campaign. I was born in this country, I was brought up in this country, I know the ordinary bloke in this country, doesn't matter where he comes from or what he is. The following is a party political broadcast on behalf of the National Party. One day, there weren't enough jobs either. The people became angry and violence broke out, especially among those who had come from other places expecting great things. Pacific Islanders were targets for the government once again. Police continued to check our passports and raid our homes just because we were brown. Police officers have been called off other inquiries to concentrate on this, what they consider to be a blitz. They have been told to concentrate on hotels and billiard halls frequented by islanders, and they are making random checks. The police minister, Alan McCready, denied his policy targeted us, but in an interview referred to us as livestock. If you have a herd of jerseys and two Frisians, the Frisians stand out. We couldn't believe it. Trevor Richards from Heart was also left in disbelief. Alan McCready, Minister in charge of the Dawn Raids. What did he really think about the Dawn Raids? Well, he was a racehorse owner, and he named one of his horses Dawn Raids. Our families are part of a long line of people born and bred in the small islands of the South Pacific. But in the 1950s, our parents looked for a new life in Aotearoa, making us the first generation of New Zealand-born Pacific Islanders. But later, in the 1970s, when the economy faced challenges, some New Zealanders started to see our presence as a problem. Newspaper headlines claimed we were violent and dangerous. And the government said we took Kiwis jobs. The government wanted us out. Like the Black Panther movement in the United States, we decided to seize the time. It was time to be heard. It was time to mobilize. It was time to fight back. We formed the Polynesian Panther Party. Our aim was to strike at the core of racism and provide a voice for our community. But leading our people to fight for a fair and just society wasn't without sacrifice. This is our history. These are our words.
The founder of the Black Panthers, Huey P. Newton, said the nature of a panther is that it never attacks. But if anyone attacks it or backs it into a corner, the panther comes up to wipe that aggressor out. Absolutely, resolutely, wholly, thoroughly and completely. To defend against our aggressor, we created a military wing of the Polynesian Panther Party. But this meant more risk. Risk for our own safety, but also risking the connection to our family and community. Speaking out like that wasn't how our parents' generation did things. But it needed to be done. If the government and police were going to harass us without cause, we needed eyes on them all the time. We started the police investigation group, the Pig Patrol. At nights would follow the police who were targeting Pacific Island gathering places, which were mostly pubs. The Pig Patrol was set up because we just saw it blatantly being right in front of our face. These guys coming, you know, in their big paddy wagons, just hauling people out for being drunk or swearing. We took people from civil liberties to witness and observe, not say anything, take numbers down and all that. The cops obviously took their numbers off so that they couldn't be identified. The witness person would be someone very respectable and, and a lot of times it was this uh, old Balangi lady. Alec Tolia Four. We were, most of us, too young to hold a licence. It would be our Balangi friends that would be the drivers and use their cars. Cops were getting pissed off and they're starting to come and arrest us. It was very dangerous. They could at any moment just stop you and just pull you out of your car. Because they were starting to try and get rid of us, we always had another car at the place where we know they were going to go. We knew their routine, so we just wait up on K Road, for example. Nigel Barner would run up to the group pot, tell all the brothers in the public bar, or anyone under rage or whatever, get the hell out. <laughs> The people that we saw arrested, that kind of stuff, all front up, David Long is a lawyer. That helped stop a lot more that would have got arrested. It wasn't just patrolling cops, it was seeing it to the end. With the success of the pig patrol, our community started to see the impact of our fight back. But under the new government, the dawn raids had returned. The National Party brought back the policy to tackle an immigration problem despite the majority of overstayers being white. Brown people were again the political scapegoat of an economic situation we had no part in making. We're standing by now for the network news. Did they say what they wanted? When I went to the door, was these two cops that come in. The next minute there was another two that come in. They wanted to see, you know, any overstayers. Police officers have been called off other inquiries to concentrate on this, what they consider to be a blitz. They have been told to concentrate on hotels and billiard halls frequented by islanders, and they are making random checks. Our community asked us what we were going to do to stop this racist policy. It was time for us to up the stakes. We needed a call on the military wing. We had a military wing, which was a self-defence group within the Panthers. If a group was to do an activity, nobody else knew about it. We were all prepared to wear whatever the consequences were. 
we learned the problem the, how the Black Panthers were, you know, getting done by informants and that kind of stuff. If you got arrested, you could actually say, I did not know. Had an executive meeting, and all the leaders of our different uh, ministries were there. At the meeting, we said, look, hey, look, our people are asking us now, we've got to do something about this. All the chapters from South Auckland were saying, let's go and fucking deal to them, you know, just punch them over and all that. So I said, okay, that's your recommendation, yes. And then from the chapters of the university, and, you know, let's write a letter to the minister and uh, let's do a petition and all this kind of numbers. Yeah, you know, okay then. We got the information from uh, prison chapters who said, remember our emblem. A panther never attacks. But because of self-defense, when it attacks, it totally wipes out its aggressor, completely, wholly, absolutely. Henry Nini, who was the, at that time a panther youth leader, got up and said, oh, well, why don't we raid the ministers? Oh, OK. Yep, we achieved the attack thing that the present chapter says. We will lessen the risk of the South Auckland chapters from getting done. And that'll satisfy the uh, university thing, because we're getting something done. We, we saw the situation that we had to attack the three ministers that we, we knew was relevant. Gear, Birch, McIntyre. I was part of the gear raid. Tingy did birch. I ended up in a group that was to go out to Bill Birch's house and do and raid him. We sent out all these investigators say, hey look, your job is to go and find out where this guy lives, give us the give us the layout. We were able to find out an address of where Bill Birch lived. The investigator that did my squad told us that there's a home unit of one, two, three, and said that unit one was uh, where uh, Gare was staying. Secured the vehicles, secured the loud hailers. And our spotlights. Now cars were, were supplied by our supporters, some in Accord, Hart, of course. A lot of those white groups, People's Union, who were mixed. I was friends with Fred Borka, who was a um, DJ for uh, Hauraki. I said, hey, look, Fred, make sure you ring up Birch, you know, at this time. Fred was like, what, you know, what is it, what's that, mate? Fred, can't tell you, mate, but just do it, you know. Wayne, our information minister, did a story, and they had a hundred people that got arrested that were actually legitimate Kiwis. So we had that as our information thing to double hit the actual issue. We all got together and waited, you know, till uh, about half past two in the morning. And we all decked out in our panther gears and that kind of stuff. Jumped into the cars and went out to Howick. None of the other members knew that it, that it was going to happen. All of us were nervy as hell, pumped with adrenaline knowing that what we were doing was right in order to stop it. How far were we prepared to go if we were confronted? Prepared to get arrested? Prepared to fight? I'm on the squad to go and see gear. One of the things that, that I learned, always double up. If you fuck up the finer details, you won't be effective, right? 
here I am outside the gear at Unit 1. Lift up my loud hair and see so. We're members of the Aotearoa Liberation Movement. You have 24 hours to prove that, that you're a rightful citizen of New Zealand. I could see this girl. She was, you know, in the background. She was running naked. Honourable gear? Unit 3. Went to the wrong address. So, from our street experience, you know, when you do crime, you don't hang around and wait, so we split. Bill Birch's house was sort of off the road, and there was wooden fence that set the house apart. We put the spotlights over the wooden fence, aimed it at the windows, and used the loud hailers. Bill Birch, come out with your passports now. And we'll wait a few seconds and then we'll start haranguing him. Come out now with your passports. You know, this is three o'clock in the morning by then. The lights would come on and the front door would open and we'd jump in our cars and take off. Luckily, the two other squads were successful and had uh, Fred Bollocker ringing the, minister, the three ministers from Hauraki. And one of them said on the radio, how dare these people come at this ungodly hour? We could have gone in and really roughed them up, you know, but it was to scare them and draw attention to the fact that this is what's going to happen if you continue with this course of dawn raiding us in our area. You know, we'll come out to you, um, wherever you are. A year or so later, no more dawn raids. Wiped out the aggressor completely. In our um, way of thinking, racism is a white problem. White people have to fix it, we're the ones under it. We were focused on helping our own community, but we also supported Tangata Whenua. Miriama Rauhihi Ness and Lynn Doherty, two of our fierce Māori Panther sisters, were a key part of the success of the 1975 land hikoi. They spoke with Marae to organise accommodation, transport and food for thousands of activists walking the length of the North Island. They delivered a petition to Parliament in protest of Māori land alienation. Mr Speaker, I wish you to receive this memorial of right, signed by the various tribal elders of New Zealand. Our military wing was also used to support our Māori brothers and sisters. Brother Alec headed up to Waitangi. Myself and one other panther were going around the edges of the marae in the bush. There were big incinerators there, you know, big 45-gallon drums there. We just light them up to create smoke that went across the marae, so it couldn't be televised. We didn't want this to be broadcasted because it was just perpetuating injustice. There was other activities that were going on and one of them was to take out the power supplier so the outdoor broadcasting unit wouldn't have any means of, of power or recharging anything. So what we did was we blew up a substation, got a chain and just where the substation is we just threw it up onto the power lines and it just shorted out everything. And then we just said, oh let's go have a beer now. So we go down to the pub. It's closed because they have no refrigeration or anything like this. 
1976 Māori-led a protest against the development of Bastion Point. They set up camp, occupying the land for two years. Panthers Armour and Tingi, alongside members of the military wing, joined them. Prime Minister Robert Muldoon sent constant threats of eviction. The law will take its course, and by this time next week they'll be off Bastion Point, I promise you that. The Polynesian Panthers had a group out at South Auckland, the South Auckland chapter. The majority of them came in, and they're usually the silent ones. You know, when we call, they come. We all camped up there. Miriam Rahihi, of course, she was our person on the point because we built on the experiences of the landmarks. When you go through so many marae and you come across so many people who've got grievances and you stand up with them, then you know you're not on your own. There was a sense of solidarity on the point which fostered community. There was even a wedding between our friends in the People's Union, Roger and Lynn. I borrowed a dress of Hama. <laughs> In the second year, and so we had built the big Faranui, the big meeting house, and we had our own little shack next to it. Decided to get married, and, and there was the uh, Catholic priest and some other priest that uh, happened to be there at the time. It was pretty informal. Near the end of the occupation, a picture of Will made headlines. His dad saw it, and he wasn't happy that his son was up with us on the point. Hey, what's this? He said, what are you doing up there? You know, why are you up there? You're not a Māori. You know, and I said, Dad, these people lost land. What do you mean lost land? You can't lose land. Because he was seeing it from the Tongan context, see? The Tongan context is that all males will get 10 acres of country plot and a quarter acre of town plot. I said, no, these people lost land, Dad. You know, and so I started to educate him about, you know, brought out little maps and that kind of stuff. And I said, look, look at this, Dad. Look, you know, where your club is. That used to belong to Māori. It's all gone, Dad, and this is all that's got left. And he started to realise, and then, you know, he, um, one day he had truckloads of some food and sent it up to the point. That's when I knew my dad knew. He understood why I was up there. I sort of said to him, did you organise that, Dad? And he said, what, 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 what do you mean? Oh, churches, oh, the, oh, the food from church, oh, yeah, yeah. I knew he did it, but he wouldn't say, but I, I knew he did it. It had been a hard personal battle to convince our parents and a lot of our community that what we were doing was right. Our parents' generation didn't rock the boat. They felt that they were guests in this country. They were thankful to New Zealand for giving us visas and jobs in the 50s and 60s. They respected the New Zealand government for giving us these things. But we were born here. We didn't feel the same. We could point out racism our parents couldn't see. But this activism threatened our freedom and angered our parents because they had sacrificed a lot for us to be here. Like our ancestors navigating the Pacific, they left the only home they had known. They left with a financial responsibility for many people in their family and their villages. They worked long hours and harsh conditions. 
They dodged dawn raids to provide a better future for their children. They sacrificed the quality of life for us. Wayne Tolliafor. What our parents did in that whole generation was incredible. They were in a strange land. Their English wasn't that great, especially my mother's English wasn't that great. I'm Mary Manata Montgomery. They did sacrifice quite a lot to be here. They did not want us to go back to Tonga and go back and live with what they say is hardship. Talofa, my name is Milani Anai. The reason they came, which is quite, you know, the same as other migrants, was for a better education for their children. Get good qualifications so you can get a job and get money for Falavilaves. Falavilave is your obligation to support the well-being of the families. It's not with just your nuclear family, it's extended family as well. I remember my mum and dad putting aside, you know, money to send to their respective families. That's an important value in Samoan uh, custom, is tautua, the service. And it's by serving your family that you achieve greatness. Dad was kind of the silent breadwinner who just would, you know, work to put a roof over our heads and food on the table. UEB Packaging, he spent 20 years there. He became a foreman, but um, and also he became deaf almost in his 60s because the loud machinery every day, six days a week, over years, 20 years. And I think that's when I really started respecting and valuing and loving my dad for putting himself through that, just for us. After Mum passed away, I found one of her diaries and she had itemised where the pounds went. You know, 10 shillings for this, um, bread, tin of corned beef, rice. She fed us, she looked after us, you know, three of us, four, counting her, plus all our cousins that used to come and visit and stay and stuff. This widow did all that. And later on in life, I took all my schoolmates home and she kept on doing it, you know. So I guess that's where we get our alofa from. She was a strong woman and, you know, Christ was her saviour and her example. And I'm grateful for what she's done, you know, for all of us. My ancestors on my mother's side, I mean, they were navigators on those tongayakis. For them to just go out to the ocean and go visit other islanders. They must have made right decisions. The navigating ancestor of mine, his task was to actually hold on to the forehead, which is the rope that goes from the top of the mast down, and by feel, tell the captain from the currents and that kind of stuff where to go. I feel that what my ancestor had, I've got. Me getting into that scenario, I start to understand that when I was doing these kind of things like, you know, the Panthers, you know, I felt this is not right.
it was also not right that Māori, the first to navigate to Aotearoa, had their land stolen. It was the right decision to stand with them up on Bastion Point. Even when they sent in the army to remove them, When the, the army and the police would come marching up the hill, we all joined hands and just waited. Whether you leave peacefully and with dignity, or whether you are forcibly removed, is a decision for you to make. They came in and surrounded everybody, picked us off one by one. resisting arrest, being on government property. When it comes to Bastion Point, we know what we're doing is right, so we got to do it, got to. The 70s was a volatile decade, filled with protests and civil unrest. Panthers fought alongside groups like Ngā Tamato and He Taua for the rights of Tangata Whenua. Palangi formed their own movements, all of us trying to shunt Aotearoa towards a fairer society. But those that wanted the status quo and control the system were reluctant to change and resorted to violent tactics. The government doubled down on its sporting contact with apartheid South Africa the country was becoming divided. In 1981, Aotearoa finally split in two. It was no longer us against the system. Now it was city against country, neighbour against neighbour, brother versus brother. Our Minister of Information, Wayne Toliafoa, had left the Pampas and joined the police. Little did I know that we were coming out at the most exciting time ever. Wayne would have to confront his brothers in black, but this time, wearing blue. Wayne, you stooly, you da, 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 let him have it. 81 split the country right down the middle. There's still people who are still not talking to each other to this day that I know of. It was the closest New Zealand had come to civil war since the land wars. 1981 was a battle for the soul of New Zealand. Once a Panther is a Stuff podcast, written, produced, mixed and edited by Brad Flayhive and Alex Liu. Additional creative input by Stuff's podcast director, Adam Dudding. Original music by Andrew Faliatua. Executive produced by Carol Hirschfeld. If you want to know more, head to stuff.co.nz forward slash onceapanther, where you'll find links to every episode, as well as photos, artwork and feature articles. You'll also find links for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and so on. If you're listening on Apple, don't forget to give Once a Panther a five-star rating and review. It helps other listeners find us. This episode included audio from Getty and from TVNZ. This podcast was made possible with help from New Zealand On Air.